Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome into the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante along with Andrew P. Shea. First things first, Andy. Merry Christmas to you and your family and to all our listeners. Thank you. Same to you, Jim, and to everybody out there. Uh, Please have a joyous holiday season and enjoy your weekend. Be safe. If you're in the Northeast or above the Mason-Dixon line or pretty much anywhere in the country, it seems, it's going to be cold. So take care of yourself and your family, but have a wonderful holidays. And very quickly... What is on the Shea menu for this Christmas? Well, we're doing a bird, but we're not doing a turkey. We're doing chicken. And we're doing two proteins, and we're doing a beef tenderloin. And it's all going to be cooked on the grill in the freezing cold. Fantastic. Anyone who wants an invite, send a note to Andrew P. Shea. Uh, You can send it in on our question in our app where it says, ask Andy, you just say, here's my question, Andy, what are the directions to your house and what time (laughs) is dinner served? All right, Andy, (laughs) besides the holiday, the other big event this week, it was signing day for the class of 23. And as has been the norm now with uh, James Franklin, it was a pretty quiet in that everything happened pretty much as expected. The only non-signee was Conrad Hussey, not a surprise, a defensive back out of Florida, who the last several weeks has been flirting with some Florida schools. He ended up, as of our uh, recording, had not yet made a commitment. That did not come as a surprise to anyone, though, did it? No, it... it Florida State and Miami came in hard. Florida State is really recruiting him hard in-state. You know, sometimes I still say this, it go. it's one of those weird, strange, normal recruiting things that has stayed the course. Sometimes geography does matter, and it can be an advantage slash a disadvantage, but sometimes no matter what your sell is and how good you've done it and how much opportunity, sometimes uh, for – for these players, geography matters. And it seems late in the game that geography has has mattered to him. Penn State has plenty of other options at the safety position in this recruiting class. Um, I still think they would really ideally like to get him, but I, I think it's almost unlikely at this point, especially with the, the really, really hard sell and push that Florida State has put together. We've talked about this before, Andy. Whenever you're recruiting an out-of-the-region player, there's always that risk, there's always that danger that the player will change his mind and stick with the local school. Now, you mentioned at safety, this is a very good class with or without uh, Conrad Hussey in that there are three other safeties on board, uh, King Mack, who interestingly enough, is Conrad Hussey's uh, teammate at St. Thomas Aquinas down in Florida. They also got Elliot Washington from Florida and Dakari Nelson from Alabama. 
And it seems to me, Andy, and tell me if, if I'm right or wrong here, four safeties seems like too many, except that the way Penn State plays defense now, these safeties, there's, some of them become safety slash linebackers, don't they? They become safety slash linebackers, safety slash safeties in both ways, in the box, outside the box. Generally speaking, you can look at Penn State's defense. Okay, they identify somebody as a nickelback under uh, Manny Diaz. But generally speaking, there's opportunity. There's three starting safeties. I, I just look at Penn State as generally playing three safeties in a starting slash regular contrib- contributor uh, mode. So I think there's three safeties that can be on the field on a regular basis. And yeah, there is one that could be slash a linebacker, which is more like a pure linebacker in the Jonathan Sutherland mode. But then there's also that safety that they walk down in the box to do about seven different things, including blitz, um, that they also use as well, but also has the ability to stay back and cover and be sticky. So it's a lot of variety at the safety position. It's the most diverse and active position in Manny Diaz's defense is how he uses and plays safeties. They're all over the place, as you saw this year. And three of them, even maybe even four of them, isn't too many the way he utilizes them in this defense. So, you know, I think it's a good number for Penn State. And obviously they're getting them because they see the same thing. Like, they play a lot of dudes at safety in a lot of different ways. And there is not an inside the box when it, you know, position description when it comes to safety with Manny Diaz as a defensive coordinator at Penn State University. And that positional uh, diversity is going to be a common theme in our conversation today. And I think it should be pointed out uh, that all of these safeties are rated as four star guys. And also, Dakari Nelson, he's six foot three, Andy. So he also has another nice feature, which is length. Yeah, he has length. And he is the guy I think is that has the skill set. And he also has some limitations at the at the college level. Even though he's, you know, six two, six three, right around two hundred pounds, I think he's the guy most likely to be in that in the box sort of linebacker type role more sooner than later. And it's because he has some limitations in pure speed and making up ground on the back end as a, as a deep cover safety is sort of a, a quarterback, you know, in the back end, he has some limitations in that, but he's willing at the point of attack. He is engaged at the point of attack. He is rangy in space and he is sticky in one-on-one coverage. So that screams to me down inside closer to the line of scrimmage guy. Um, He is the one of the, three that they have signed, and even of all four that they had committed, he is the one that is the most likely to be the most diverse in terms of closer to the ball, a little further away from the ball. Let's uh, shift to the other side of the ball, and let's go to the offensive line. It's intriguing to me. A year ago, the big names, the top-rated guys were your quarterback, your running back, the sexy positions, Andrew. This class, the top of the heap guys, the highest rated 
are a couple offensive linemen in Alex Birchmeyer and J. Van Williams. And to just continue with that positional flexibility conversation, I think we looked at them initially, Birchmeyer, interior offensive lineman, meaning guard or center, J. Van Williams, he's the tackle. But James Franklin said, no, 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 these guys, they could play either. They could play tackle or inside. And he also mentioned Anthony Donka, the third offensive lineman, and said the same thing about him. Could start a tackle and end up inside. I think these two high-end recruits, they know where they can play. I'm pretty sure they're going to – they need tackles, right? Like they need tackles. So I think they're going to try Birchmeyer, even though we know he – probably could play center or could be a backup guard. I think they're going to try him at tackle right away, both of them, him and Williams. Williams is a little bit more of a natural tackle who could move inside. Birchmeyer is a natural, more natural inside guy, center or guard, who they're going to work and see what he can do, particularly at right tackle. That's just my my instinct is that they're going to give these guys both a whack at tackle to begin with, but they do have flexibility with them. Like Alex could possibly be, say Juice Scruggs decides to go to the NFL and not come back. He would be a very strong candidate to be in the mix to be Penn State's next starting center. So I think what some of the other guys do depend on it. Do you want these guys starting right away? I say no. Even though they're the high-end talent guys, I'd, I'd say no right out of the shoot, unless they just absolutely scream, I have to be on the field. They're close, but I don't think they're there. And them trying them at both tackle positions says they need a tackle. They have a need a tackle position, and they think they have the flexibility that they can try these guys out there without having to put them in their A spots to begin with to a degree. So I find it very interesting. They have a lot of flexibility along the offensive line. Getting the top end of the recruiting class at the offensive line position is a huge move step forward for Penn State, especially coupled with the progress this group has made in 2022 as a unit. The way they improved just a step or two, and it was more than enough, Jimmy, way more than enough based on recent history to move this position forward. Very, very, very much needed for this program. And Alex Birchmeyer was one of the first guys, or I believe he was pretty early in his commitment, and he's always been listed as an interior offensive lineman. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't realize till I looked back, looked it back up. He's listed at six foot five. James Franklin actually said he's six five and a half. That kind of length is what you're looking for in a tackle. So I think James Franklin talked about it, the strategy. It's tougher to get a tackle. Let's start these guys out there. And if they can handle it, fantastic. If not, we know we've got interior linemen with them, right? Yeah, Birchmeyer looks like a right tackle. Like he has the length and size. I I don't think he's a left tackle because of his footwork. But I think as a as a, ha- a handle the right side and as a seal the edge clear guy in the run game, he does have some elements of a right tackle. Is he more ideally suited to be on the inside and be slugging it off physically with uh, 
hammer defensive tackles? Yes. But could he transition to right tackle? We're going to find out. And I'll tell you what's, what's fascinating to me, Andy. Uh, we Penn State fans, we might be the only fan base in the country who's actually thrilled <laughs> that the two top-rated guys in our recruiting class are offensive linemen. And you think about it over the years, how, mo- how many conversations have we had about the offensive line begging for that uh, group to turn the corner, right? They turned the corner this year as a unit. And uh, like I said, it was just it was only a step or two, but it was a big turn. These two guys only add to that. Yes, you're right. It is the one fan base. It's like, we got offensive linemen. <laughs> definitely, definitely exciting for this fan base. All right, Andy, that's it for quarter number one. Stick around. We got a lot more to talk about with this 2013 or 2023 class. Stick with us. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti along with Andrew P. Shea. And it's quarter number two of our show. Brought to you by... 409tailgateclub.com. You know all about them with their great barbecue sauces and their chicken rub. They are now introducing their new coffee barbecue dry rubs. You know what? It was funny. In the first segment, Andy, We, I was asking you about what you're serving on Christmas. You're putting both beef and chicken on the grill, and you're going to be using your uh, 
you're coffee barbecue rubs, aren't you? I am. I don't know which one of the three I'm going to use yet. My brother and I are going to taste test and decide. But one of them is going to be what we rub the beef tenderloin with. As soon as I tasted them, when Andrew sent them to me from 409, I was like, that's going to, that, it immediately screamed to me, go on my beef tenderloin for Christmas. But I don't know which one. We got to figure out the exact flavor we want. Well, next week's show, we need a report from you on that. So if you're interested, great stuff. Trust me, I have already tried them. Go to 409tailgateclub.com. All right, Andy, we've been talking uh, class of 23, recruiting class for Penn State. We got through the safeties. We got through the offensive line. I want to talk linebackers now. For Do you remember way, way back at the start of the 22 season how concerned we were about the linebacker position? And then this young guy named Abdul Carter shows up, and all of a sudden our linebacker conversation not only is totally different but about the 22 season, but the 23 class is just loaded with three four-star quarterbacks, Andy. Yeah, I think, so when you talk about linebackers in Penn State, number 11 is always going to grab attention at linebacker U. And Abdul Carter, in his first season, lived up to the billing of wearing that number. I also think the position itself was solidified quietly and solidly over the course of 12 games by Curtis Jacobs as well. I think Curtis Jacobs moving to the new position had some had some gaps to fill in a new position that wasn't like sort of in his natural wheelhouse and his limited role. We had talked about that, but expanding his role at that position, you know, being, you know, sort of that Sam linebacker, I thought he was quietly and comfortably very solid that it also gave Abdul Carter the freedom to be the freak, right? Like, he could ju- they could just sort of freelance. It gave Manny the freelance of Abdul Carter and let's just do what this kid does well and throw him in there. And not only did he meet those expectations, he just went beyond them and excelled it and just became this crazy freak. Meanwhile, you had Carter Jacobs just being that solid second linebacker that you need, which was really important. Speaking of this recruiting class, they have options plenty of them at this position and I think they got the guy they wanted they got the secondary guy they wanted and they got depth I really believe they got a little bit of everything at this position and I don't think for the next two or three years we're going to have any conversations about uh what's going on at the linebacker position I don't think we're going to be having that conversation Jimmy I, I don't think so either and length is part of this uh, you've got Tamir Robinson listed at 6'4", Kavion Key 6'3", Tony Rojas 6'1", and, and James Franklin kind of confirmed this, uh, that if they had to go out on the field today, Tamir Robinson, who's already 225, is that guy who would probably be in the middle, yep. and Rojas and Keys would be the edge guys. Both of them are around 200 pounds. And I'm sure that will change as they hit the strength and conditioning program. But again, three really good players. I think 
so Robinson was the guy they wanted, right? I think he was the one identified as they thought he was really important for them to get. He didn't play a senior year high school, so that is always a tricky recruitment in and of itself. The Mike linebacker position, he can solidify, and I think he has one of the best opportunities to contribute, play, possibly start in earlier than later, in my opinion. He can quarterback a defense. He's got, you know, some range. He's got some physicalness to him. Uh, he's a rock-solid tackler. So I think he's the one to keep an eye on through, you know, early enrollments last spring as you lead up to fall camp with the 2023 team as the linebacker position evolves. Keep an eye on Tamir Robinson and see what they're doing with him. And I believe, though, he is also coming off an injury. Yes. Um, his senior season of high school. Let's go to the other place that I think they did really well was at tight end, Andy, where they had a couple other – they had a decommit. They had uh, Matthias Barnwell, who we'll get to in a second, commit, decommit, recommit. But the two tight ends in Joey Schlaffer and Andrew Rapalia – Six 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 five. One's two fifteen. The other's two twenty five. A couple real good gets there, also, Andy at tight end. They did. They were able to recruit tight ends not for today, but more or less for tomorrow, to a degree. Because so at, at, at they, they did. They they did a really good job in in the tight end position, and it continues. Because again, and it was the one thing I wanted to see from this offense going into 2022 was they needed to expand the role of the tight end position as compared to 2021 with Mike Yersich because they have such you know high-end talent at that position. They had to figure out how to use it better, and they did, right? Like Mike Yersich deserves a lot of credit for that. I mean, you, you know, Kurt Strange emerged as you know, a, a beast, right? A blocking beast, a catching beast with range. He can do some stuff down the field. I think towards the second half of the season, you saw Theo Johnson become the Theo Johnson. You sort of expect to see a little bit more. And, oh, don't forget, the third wheel isn't bad either. Tyler Warren is an athletic freak, right? So they have now one of the deeper tight end rooms in the country with this recruiting class because both of these guys are big. Both of them have some catch range and some range, but both uh, Schaffler and Andrew Rapalia, they are actually really good blockers. And that is sort of under under the radar with these guys. If you watch them, they're both actually pretty good blockers at their level already, and they'll only get a little bit better. They don't have like, they're not like, a, oh, is this guy a slot? Does he line up in the slot? Is he a tight end? He has to develop as a blocker. I think they actually have a little bit more development to do as pass catchers at the next levels compared to blockers, those two. So that's a good thing for Penn State because they can develop their pass catching skills. The blocking thing takes more time. And Andy, they showed this past year some wrinkles to the offense where you had multiple tight ends on the field, <laughs> sometimes multiple tight ends in the backfield. Yep. And I'll tell you what, if you go back and look, just about every time they broke a big run, it was a tight end leading the way. It yeah. was like Brenton Strange, especially. Brent's I don't know how many huge blocks he made. 
when they, whenever you see Nicholas Singleton sprinting down the field, chances are if you just rewind a couple clicks, you'll see two things. Bretton Strange leveling somebody and then Brenton Strange starting to celebrate before Singleton even reaches the end zone. Yeah, they they expanded the role of the tight ends, like I said. But And this is an interesting thing I think is a, a key in the Rose Bowl. I think the tight ends are going to be really, really critical in the Rose Bowl game against Utah. I think Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, and Tyler Warren are all going to have to play pretty – significant slash impactful roles as tight ends and how they used them towards the end of the year in this matchup against Utah. So I I think they opened up Pandora's box with the tight ends this year and the recruiting class, I think a little bit is a reflection of that. Let's speaking of tight ends, let's, let's talk about mega Barnwell. Um, I have them listed at six, six, two fifty. I know somewhere I read where they said he had Bloomed up, I say bloom is the wrong word, but had gotten up to like 270, but he's now down to 245. Even though he's listed as an athlete and we were convinced he his final position's going to be somewhere else other than tight end, it sounds like James Franklin is willing to give him a shot at tight end first, though, Andy. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think I think you have to give him a look at, at, at tight end first first but you also have what can you do with him anywhere else because he's so versatile I mean could he play defense and I mean he could even possibly be you know play inside on the defensive line I really honestly believe that could he be an edge guy or a holding defensive end on defense absolutely could he even be an offensive lineman I mean, he could be, Jimmy. I mean, he's that good of a blocker. He's that diversely talented. I, I I don't think they really, you know, he's got, I don't think from the listening to them talk about him that they really know exactly what they want, They where they think he fits best. They, they see him like fitting best in several different places. So he wants to be a tight end. That's pretty clear. His family wants him to be a tight end. So why not give him a crack at tight end first and see if he can meet it? That's my thought process is why not give that to him first and see how that develops in his most comfortable position because he's still going to be a true freshman, right? Give him a chance to succeed at what he thinks he's best at and see how it goes from there. You know what I picture him pretty early on, Andy, doing? You know how they have these formations? Sometimes they'll bring in a sixth lineman slash tight end. Yep. Let him be that tight end slash tackle, okay, with his size, ability to block, but still an ability to go catch a pass. Um, The fact that they've gotten more creative with their tight ends tells you they might be able to use him somehow like that. You know, I see him initially on the field, Jimmy, in the exact same role you said. He's a red zone guy. Like you put him in when you're in the red zone because your options become greater with him on the field because he can serve he can serve two masters, which is not very often that you can do that. All right, Andy, that's going to be it for quarter number two. I know we usually go to your questions when we ask Andy, 
but there's still so much more to talk about with this uh, 2023 recruiting class. And we're going to have a special guest in quarter number four. So we are going to continue the class of 23 conversation in quarter number three. Stick around for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis and at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com Keystone or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. This one we typically do ask Andy, but we're going to continue our conversation about the class of 23. Also a chance for me to put out a couple of quick announcements here, Andy. Number one, we are not going to do a Monday show the next two weeks because of the holiday, uh, the 26th of uh, next Monday, we're going to call that part of the Christmas holiday. The following Monday, January 2nd, it's the day of the Rose Bowl. Doesn't make sense for us to do a show. Uh, then I'm sure you'll be watching the ball game. And the other uh, thing I wanted to mention, especially to our listeners in the State College area, we're going through a transition in State College. Remind you, If you can't catch us on the radio, just you could download our podcast from anywhere you get your podcast, or even better yet, you can download our app. Just search for Keystone Sports on your app store, and you can continue to listen to the Keystone Kickoff Show uninterrupted. All right, Andy, let's pick up where we left off. And I want to put this properly. I hit, I think, some of the highlight positions we hit already with quantity and quality. Now, let's hit some of those positions where the recruits are, it's almost like one-offs in these positions, and I'm really anxious to get your take on them. Let's start with the quarterback position. 
after bringing in two quarterbacks last year, including a top-of-the-line quarterback in Drew Aller, who will be your starter the next two years, we pretty much are sure of that, it would be tough to get another elite five-star guy. I get that. And they actually, their first quarterback that they had commit decommitted, and they ended up with uh, Jackson Smolik out of Iowa, a guy that James Franklin is calling a steal among quarterbacks in the class of 23. Yeah, James is going to call him a steal because James has to call him a steal because he's his quarterback. But it, it, so in James's mind, he's a steal. He's not a steal in regards to, you know, big picture recruiting. He's not. But the reason he's a steal in James Franklin's mind is as a former quarterback, and I've always sort of admired this about James, that he knows exactly what he's looking for and what he wants in a quarterback. I mean, basically, he's only ever played two quarterbacks as his starting quarterbacks in his entire tenure at Penn State. That's Trace McSorley and Sean Clifford. The very first year, he had Christian Hackenberg, but that was sort of Bill O'Brien's guy that in that transition, Christian was the quarterback, but he's only ever played two guys. He He's always known what he's looking for. He knows exactly the tangibles slash the intangibles that he is looking for. He always knew a guy that would fit best in what he wants an offense to look like and how it's run. And I've also been extremely Extremely impressed with his his ability to identify the kind of talent that he likes way earlier than most others. So I think when they had to go back in the quarterback uh, market, he had already identified this guy as high on his list, but they had a commit and they couldn't knew they couldn't get a second quarterback commit from him when they lost it. They James knew that this guy had everything that he wants. He has the sort of intangibles, the, the the kind of arm that he likes, the ability to be mobile, the sort of like, you know, the ability to make the throws that he wants him to see make on a consistent basis. He just knows what he's looking for in the quarterback position from the tangible side. And then he is a big intangibles. He likes the intangible parts of the quarterback position. And even though Sean Clifford, it's the love-hate relationship, he had those intangibles that he's sort of been able to com- have that sort of commitment and remake himself and sort of change as the time move on. And James knew that really early on. So it's a very interesting position at Penn State, and it's one that James manages pretty darn well. And also worth pointing out that uh, Smolik was injured his junior season. so. Yes. Could be a little bit of the the late bloomer uh, type player. Initially, he had committed to Tulane. Uh, let's go to running back. And fairly early on, got a commitment out of Scranton in London, Montgomery. Very much a speed back. Uh, James Franklin calls him best kept secret. Now, uh, the issue with Montgomery was he didn't play his senior year. He injured a knee, missed the entire yep. season. So this is probably not a guy you're going to be rushing onto the field. And because of that, depth became an issue at running back also with uh, some portal entries. It was pretty important to get a second running back, and they did in Cameron Wallace, 
not a really highly, highly rated guy. He's out of Georgia, but another speed guy, Andy. Yeah, Cameron Wallace is a depth guy with speed, right? Like he's a a one-trick pony. London Montgomery, in my opinion, is he's the steal of this class. I, I really believe that. And I say that he, before his injury, last year as a junior, he was 2,000-plus yards. He wasn't Nick Singleton. I've seen him play. He wasn't Nick Singleton. Like, when you saw Nick Singleton play, you just knew. You're like, this kid's going to be ridiculously good right out of the gate. You just knew it. You know London Montgomery when you watch him play. I'm convinced he would have been a 3,000-yard guy this year. The the jump he made from a 10th grader to an 11th grader as a running back before the injury was astronomical, Jimmy. It was off the charts, and he was ready to make that next jump. That would have probably elevated him a little bit in the recruiting circles and, and the way he's looked at as a running back coming to Penn State now. That's why I think he's a steal. I think a year or two, a little bit getting a little healthier, learning a little bit, running, you know, learning behind a couple studs who clearly have more overt talent, but he has he has it. He's got it and he can play. I think down the line, he is the steal of this class. I think he is I think he is an FBS power five. Very good running back slash with an opportunity to be elite sooner than later. And if needed, can handle more sooner than later. I think he is a very, very important get for him, for them in this running back class, because it's hard to recruit high end running backs when you've got two of them that just spent their entire freshman year lighting up the big 10, right? Collectively, they lit up the big 10. And now you got to go find another one. This is a steal for that reason, in my opinion. They found another one that has way more talent than it might look like. And if he needs to redshirt this first year, that's fine, too. I know you like the cornerbacks, uh, Andy, Zayn, Tracy, and Lamont Payne. Yeah, I, I think they both are... They both have some length, and they both they're both really sticky. I don't think it was a high position to need. I think cornerback becomes one of those marquee positions in the 2024 class. So they were looking at what we what you call in recruiting. They're still good players, but you're looking for gap guys. The guys next year they're going to be looking to recruit a, a decent number of corners, and they're going to be looking at the high end level. I think both of these guys are they're guys that can develop. They can get a little bigger. They can have some time. They already have some inherent length to them. They can get just a little bit bigger, a little stronger, get a little bit more uh, dialed in with their technique. They have some shortcomings, but I, I do like both of them as sort of stopgap players. Third corner guys in the future, you know, part of a four cornerback rotation. Are they your elite Joey Porter Jr. type starters? No, obviously not. But are they your Johnny Dixon type corners? I think they are. I really do. And I think they're two great stop in the recruiting cycle in the gap corner gets that helps them go through to 2024 when they were recruited at a much higher level. That's just my opinion. Joey Porter Jr. is a first-round draft pick, okay, Andy? Yes. <laughs> There are not many Joey Porter Juniors nationally, let alone at one school. Um, 
let's hit wide receiver, a position that they appear to be hitting hard in the transfer portal. Uh, one of the reasons they only got one of them, and that was uh, Carmelo Taylor. Yeah, and, and this recruiting class is a little bit of a reflection of maybe even, you know, the last two recruiting classes at the wide receiver position. And they're going to the transfer portal because the guys they've been getting at the wide receiver position, they're just not developing into wide receiver ones or wide receiver twos. So they're having to lean on the transfer portal a little bit more. This is a big year for development of the guys. They 2023 is going to be a big year for the guys they have recruited at the wide receiver position to see if they can develop. They're still going into the transfer portal. You're, I, I'm now on your corner. They're going to go. They want two of them. So that also makes sense in the recruiting. I think they've slowed down their receiver recruiting a little bit to, to reassess it big picture, long haul, because they're, they're not quite developing. After Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert-Smith, and they both had to start in 2020, that's it. The last two recruiting classes, you haven't seen a lot at the wide receiver position. That's why I think next year, 2023 season, is important for the guys that they have recruited. You know, they only recruited one receiver in this class, and that's for a reason. And I also, sometimes you got to remember, too, it takes two sides to get a commitment here. And just because Penn State may want another receiver in this class, you need to have the guys who say that they want to show up, too. Uh, Real quick, defensive line. Probably another area, a little bit thin. They got two very late commitments at defensive end and just one uh, defensive tackle in Tyreek Blanding. Yeah, they they struggled a little bit overtly, if you look at it, uh, in recruiting along the defensive line. But at the same time, I think they have found, even late, I think they found some guys they think they can utilize at that position Defensive tackle, that hammer tackle is the hardest to find. They do have some players there. They do have some depth there. But I also think it is another transfer portal position that they're going to shop in very heavily during this offseason. I really honestly truly believe that. I think there at wide receiver, they definitely will be shopping. Let's see what they get out of there. Andy, that is it for quarter number three. Quarter number four, we're going to bring in Nate Wilmont uh, from the ForTheBloggy.com site. Andy, have yourself an incredible holiday weekend, and let me know how things go on the grill, all right? Thank you, Jimmy. Same to you as well, and to everybody out there. Reiterate it again. Happy holidays. Stick around for quarter number four. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. 
You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. And as promised, our special guest you guys remember him? It's Nate Wilmot. He is the great statistical analyst expert from ForTheBloggy.com. He puts out some great stuff. If you want to follow him, go to ForTheBloggy.com. Some great stuff there. And Nate, you are back on to talk some Rose Bowl with us. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Uh, too many superlatives. Great and expert are likely do not apply, but we do our best. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, they do. I look. I've been following your stuff for a while. I feel comfortable, comfortable using okay, great well, we'll uh, to describe what you do. You do projections for games using your own formula, something you call RPI, Relative Performance Index. Now, for our listeners who don't remember when you've been on the show previously, could you give us just a real quick primer on how that works? Yeah, and it's very applicable, especially to a game like this where um, Penn State and Utah did not have common opponent opponents at all, right? And the Pac-12 is quite different than the Big Ten in terms of, you know, what is favored. So RPI takes um, a team's performance against its opponent. So, for example, uh, if Penn State played Michigan, which we did, right, and the Penn State um, defense allowed 41 points against Michigan – the Michigan offense uh, typically scores 40. So that is a about a 100, slightly more than 100 points um, that Penn State allowed than they sh- uh, versus what the expectation against Michigan would have been. Uh, so that gives an RPI of like one point, 102%. Uh, similarly, if you look at, you know, a team scoring points, maybe, you know, if Penn State scored 40 points and Michigan was only allowing 20, then that would be a 200% performance for the Penn State offense. And, and we do that um, for every opponent in a number of stats that we can track easily. Uh, in, for offensive numbers, a higher RPI is better, right? Meaning that the our team got more than what the opponents typically would allow. 
And then for defense, um, a lower RPI is better, meaning that, um, you know, the team gave up fewer than or less than what would be expected uh, against some opponent. So if you play a team with a really good defense and it may not appear that you scored a lot of points, but relative to what that team allows, you did well. So exactly. Correct. Yep. So let's look at some specifics with Penn State and Utah. Let's start with yardage, both offensively and defensively, and you can break that down with both uh, the rushing and passing. Let's talk first about the offense for both teams. Penn State's offense, how have they performed both with their rushing and passing offense? Yep. So what we're going to find in both of these situations is that on an RPI basis, both Penn State and Utah are quite good, uh, both offensively and defensively. They're quite good. Penn State, um, from an offensive generation rushing, get, has an RPI of 120%. So they do about 20% better on average than what they would you would expect them to get. Um, that comes in a little bit of a bimodal distribution for rushing, though, where they have a number of games above 130 percent and then some games 90 or below so they you know they they have a very widespread uh in their average um utah rushing has a 116 so slightly slightly worse uh than penn state but they have a higher floor than penn state does where their worst offensive rushing performance is about 85 uh, but they also have a lower ceiling with their best being about 140 so penn state's best was over 170 percent so you know they're very similar on average maybe utah rushing is a little more consistent um, when it comes to passing, very similar thing. Penn State 109, Utah 104, um, similar. Utah has a low floor here, though. Their their bottom was 60%, whereas Penn State's bottom was 80%, give or take. Uh, and then in total yards per play overall, Penn State has a 112% RPI, and Utah has a 106. Um, the, uh, the defenses that Penn State played, on average, give up fewer yards per play than do the Utah defense, the the teams that Utah played. Um, so, you know, on an absolute basis, Penn State's offensive yards per play is slightly lower. It's 6.1 um, yards per play versus Utah's offenses, which is 6.5. But again, the, the defenses that Penn State played are tougher. So their, um, their, abs- or their RPI is somewhat higher than the Utah team. Now, there's a lot of numbers we have going on here. Yeah. But to consolidate it a bit, both these teams have won double-digit games, so you would expect their performance to be above average. Yep. You'd expect their offenses to be above the 100% mark, which is the average, and you'd expect their defenses to be below the 100% mark, yep. which again is above average in their performance. What I see, though, in all your numbers, Penn State, whether you're talking rushing offense versus Utah rushing defense, passing offense and defense. Penn State's, the numbers are a little bit higher for Penn State on each one of these factors. How much is their correlation have you found between these numbers? You know, it, it's TBD. I, I've, I've done the other system that I use a lot more, and I, I have a fairly good handle on that against the spread and kind of straight up, and it's comparable to what you would expect in SP+. Um, this I like this better. This this has a lot more factors in it, I think, that are more relevant to 
you know, what, what you would expect, especially in teams coming from very disparate places, right? Like where, you know, the Pac-12 style is very different than the Big Ten style. So, you know, I, I would have to do a lot more to understand what the, you know, how predictive this is. But I think for a game like this, where you have two high, high highly above average teams that are playing very different opponents, I think it's a reasonable measure um, to understand. But we'll, you know, we'll see when the rubber hits the road and, and we get to January 2nd evening, uh, how well the predictor did, yeah. Well, I I always, as we talk about these statistics, there's so many more circumstances that, so like Penn State's offense, say, against Northwestern did not do a very good job, but you also had a monsoon, and you also, as you might expect, Penn State's passing offense wasn't very good on that day, but they probably ran the ball a whole lot more than normal because of that. So you have the different circumstances yep. that come into this. Now, you one of my favorite numbers that is that you have used is something for something called havoc plays, and you got the numbers for that for both Penn State and Utah. Before we jump into the number, could you explain what a havoc play is? Yeah. So, so normally havoc, and this is, comes from Bill Connolly. So it's um, sacks, tackles for loss pass breakups, and then turnovers as a function of total plays. So if a defense goes against an offense 100 plays and they have, say, 10 sacks and tackles for loss combined and then five pass breakups and three turnovers, that would be 18 total plays. So they would have a havoc rate of 18%. Um, Here today, we're only looking, because it's a little bit harder to track pass breakups on a game-by-game basis. So I only did it for defensive sacks and tackles for loss. Um, as a relative performance index. And it's only for the defenses because, again, it's not easy to track sacks and tackles for loss against on a game-by-game basis um, without doing way more work than I wanted to do. So Penn State's defense has been very good, and especially as the season went on, uh, has gotten increasingly better at generating havoc in, in the form of sacks and tackles for loss. Point to, you know, just number reference here. An average, I think, is in the range of like, you know, 10 or something like that. So you're going to get seven to nine tackles for loss and, you know, two to three sacks. So whatever that adds up. Um, Penn State's last four games are 22, 16, 19, and 10 in sacks and tackles for loss combined. And then against Auburn, which was another big game, they had 17. So they they are really good. And they're, um, this is against averages of opponents who give up. So Auburn gave up 10. Um, Indiana was giving up 12, which was pretty high. And Penn State got 22 that game. But then their last three opponents, Maryland, Rutgers, and Michigan State, um, had about an average sacks or tackles for loss allowed in the range of eight or so. And Penn State, again, generated 16, 19, and 10. So they have a very high relative performance against those against their the entirety of their schedule uh, with a 142% in sacks and tackles for loss. Utah, also very good, um, generating 128% against the, the Pac-12 opponents. Um, so, you know, it, if Caden Wallace and Olu Fushanu come back this for the bowl game, it's going to be very, very important, uh, for the success of that off of the Penn state offense and not allowing a lot of havoc uh, in the backfield. And it, it's interesting. The casual fan, I think in watching Penn state play could attest to it appeared that the second yeah. half of the season, they were much better at that. Yeah. All right, let's get to the numbers for points scored and points allowed 
and tell us how that leads to your prediction for the Rose Bowl. Okay, so in in points scored, again, it's a very similar story. Penn State, um, slightly better than Utah in the offensive RPI. So uh, Penn State, 148%, Utah, 126%. Uh, Penn State had one kind of stinker game, and that was, again, the Northwestern one that you pointed out earlier. Uh, Notably, Penn State has zero games below 100% RPI outside of that Northwestern game. So everything was 100% or above, which is pretty good because Penn State's played some really good defenses. But, you know, on the other hand, like Michigan's only allowing, whatever, 15 points a game or 14 points a game. So, you know, it doesn't take a lot for Penn State to beat that projection. Utah, similarly, uh, good average, one kind of, you know, poor game. Uh, They had a 50% uh, they had a 50% RPI in against 2% RPI against Oregon, it looks like. So they only scored 20 or 17 points against Oregon. That was their bad game. But otherwise, did pretty good. They had a few under 100, but all in all, you know, somewhere in the range of 100 to 200. Defensively, very similar here. Penn State has a 66% RPI in points allowed, meaning they are giving up about 66% of what you would expect. Utah is 72%. Penn State's ceiling was zero in the shutout against Maryland. Utah's ceiling was about 40 odd per, or 35 or so percent. And their floor is not bad. Penn State's worst was 120%, which was against Purdue and included a pick six. So really, you know, Penn State has not allowed more than they would expect, at least defensively, not more than you would expect uh, the opposing team to get. So as this goes to a prediction, basically the way we do this, we take the the Penn State offense and their RPI against the bowl opponent, in this case, Utah, and then their defensive RPI, and you kind of you know, do some averaging and some calculation and you come up with the bull prediction. So Penn State offensively generates 35.8 points a game. They have an RPI, offensive RPI of 148. Um, Utah allows 21.5 points per game. They have a defensive RPI of 72. And when you put that together, you get Penn State predicted to get 29.3 points. Utah offensively averages a little bit more. So they average 37.3 points a game, but their offensive RPI is a smidge lower and Penn State has both a better points allowed at 18 um, versus Utah's 21.5, and then a lower, slightly uh, defensive RPI at 66%. So I'm projecting Utah uh, for 24 points. So, um, so basically 29-24 is what I have for the game. So 29-24 for the Nittany Lions. That makes Penn State fans happy. That's going to have to be it for the show. Please join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. 
Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com.